This podcast is brought to you by Seekers Hub. To listen to the rest of our shows, please visit seekershub.fm. You can also subscribe to our weekly email newsletter called Compass, where we'll send the best of Seekers Hub's content straight to your inbox every single week. To get on the list, visit seekershub.org slash compass. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Allahumma la ilma lana illa ma'allamtana innaka anta al-alim al-hakim. Allahumma allimna ma yanfa'una wa anfa'na bima tu'allimuna wa zidna min fadlik ilman wa amlan wa qurban wa tuqin ya Rabbil Alameen. ربنا لا تؤاخذنا إن نسينا أو أخطأنا ربنا ولا تحمل علينا إسرا كما حملته على الذين من قبلنا ربنا ولا تحملنا ما لا طاقة لنا به واعف عنا واغفر لنا وارحمنا أنت مولانا فانصرنا على القوم الكافرين okay, بسم الله so we're going to talk about uh, losing our marbles and uh, emotional and mental health and how it relates to Islam and how it needs to be understood. And this is a, a critical topic. It's a very, very important topic which is uh, ignored, which is neglected, which is underappreciated in, 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 in terms of its significance, um, which is it, it's, it's, it's a big problem, right? There's many people out there with you know, severe emotional and mental issues and you know major mental issues and they have no idea about it that's the worrying thing which is why my colleague and i are going to talk to you today what do you mean no all right <laughs> anyway missed it okay so what happens is this issue in order to understand it fully what we need to know firstly what is how are we supposed to be what is a balanced individual right and we've got We've got the perfect example of a balanced individual. We've got the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, a person who had one of the most difficult lives, right? Yet, Allah subhanahu wa taala kept him firm, kept him strong, kept him balanced. And let's look at one of the reasons why he was balanced. Um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, Ya Yuhannas, inna khalaqnakum min dhakarin wa untha. We created you from a single male and female. Who's this? Adam and Hawa. Wa ja'alnakum shu'uban wa qaba'ila lita'arafu. And we made you tribes and sub-tribes. So there's your general tribe where you come from, and then your close relatives, uncles, aunties, whatever these people. Why? لتعارفوا, so you can maintain, so you can have good links with each other, so you can know each other and have good relationships with each other. And you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not everything in the Quran is spelled out, right? There are certain things we, we were expected to deduce from our own experience, uh, from our own reflection. And what we find is <clears throat> people who have good, strong, solid relationships have good, strong, solid health overall. Um, what's his name? There's a book called Healthy at 100. Uh, I forgot the author's, author's name. So anyway, what he did, he went around the world and he studied various people, tribes, um, who 
not only get to 100 and not only survive at 100, but they're thriving at 100, right? Their health is excellent and in, in, all, in all ways they're thriving. Um, there's the, uh, Hun, uh, the, the, the Hunza uh, tribe in Kashmir, there's, there's, there's quite a few. Um, in the Amazon, there's, there's few. And, and one of the things that he identified was uh, that they're happy in their relationships. There's a sense of being loved and feeling loved, which we'll talk about shortly. Um, so what we find is uh, having strong relationships with people is a protection is a protection from trauma. So, um, uh, Sheikh Idris, my friend, he, he gave me a book uh, about a year or so ago, a couple of years ago, and it was called Trauma Releasing Exercises. And so I was just reading the introduction. And the author of the book, he was saying that, uh, he gave the story of, uh, there was a village in Africa, and the people in this village some of these people moved out, they went to another country, the next country, to work. And, but the, this village ended up having a war with another tribe or something. And it was something long and protracted, and it went on for ages. And what they found was that the people that were alone, without the support of the tribal network, the support of the family, their health suffered tremendously. But the people that were there together, supporting each other, they were fine. And they lived through the war. Those are the people that, that were injured, whatever. They were fine. Their health, everything was fine. So what was understood, what, so one of the deductions from this is that a strong network of uh, people that are close to you, right? And I don't mean acquaintances, right? There's this thing nowadays, when, obviously with social media, you might have a thousand friends, but you're not close to any of them, right? They're just acquaintances. You put, you put up a picture, they put up a like and you know you, you return the favor that's not it you want strong meaningful relationships and uh, this is essential and this is we'll, we'll come, come, come to it regarding the sunnah but um, let me give you another example um, there's an author called professor van der kolk bessel van der kolk who's got a book called the body keeps the score about trauma and so he, he's talking about this young kid who's in the nursery right next to the twin towers when the planes went into them. And you can imagine that, you know, there's a whole two skyscrapers collapsing, right? The entire surrounding area is just demolished. And so he was one of, the, one of the kids that was rescued and he was taken out and he saw the firemen coming in and all sorts. The next day, he's at home and he, he's drawing, he's colouring, and he, he drew a picture of the towers, he drew a picture of these firemen came in and they had, you know, all sorts of equipment and stuff. And he was able to d digest that experience and he was able to talk about it, express it as a five, six-year-old would. Whereas there are people that are probably still traumatized by it, right, and having lived through it. So how did he get through it well and fine? And why did they undergo, why, why do other people still, you know, maybe get post-traumatic stress disorder just because of that, or have other, other problems because of that day. And <clears throat> the issue was he had a very close relationship with his parents, his mother especially. And this close, loving, nurturing relationship um, was a means of the, the trauma dissipating. Right? The problem that occurred that he could, he could handle it and it didn't affect him. So this is what we understand from the Qur'an. 
and the Sunnah of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that Allah has made us in this way that we need other people, we need uh, company and it's a form of healing, right? It's a form of healing and it's a form of defense and it's essential for us. <coughs> so what we have is, there's an excellent work out there um, called The Wound of the Heart. What does this book talk about? The author, he's got some funny stuff in there, but the author, he says the essential, basic human need. What does every human being need above all else? Essentially, just food and clothing, whatever, but for your own being. Sorry? Love. Love, right? It's the need of not just love, but feeling loved, right? Feeling loved. And he says that when people are deprived of this, he calls it the wound of the heart. And this, this starts from birth, right? And it goes on. And we'll talk about how childhood affects uh, later life. But this, this need uh, of love is essential, right? And what's interesting is uh, the word for insan, the word insan in Arabic has two roots. One of the roots is means one of the possible roots, the weaker one, uh, is from nisyan, which means to forget. Because people forget, it's a human trait. Adam alayhi salatu wasalam, he was in paradise, don't eat from this tree. A long time passed, shaitan came, false promises, and he forgot, and so he ate. Uh, and then he was sent down to earth. The other root is uns, and uns, uh, you could translate it as deep intimacy. Right, which is what it's a feeling felt when you're when you're loved, right? And people that are deprived of this, their their entire development is affected, right? So, for example, I read this article on uh, they did some brain scans on two children. One child, normal, loved, good family, everything, and he had a healthy brain, healthy development, and the other was. Uh, was deprived, he was neglected and he, he wasn't given what, uh, this what was needed and you know, his brain, brain didn't even develop like most children normally by the time they get to the age 4 or 5 what do they do? they start asking questions but why, but why, but why because their brains develop to a particular point where they need to process information they need to have understanding and answers and this child was not there even at 5 right? because he'd been neglected so it affects your development it's a need and what's amazing is, usually with people, this is, it, it comes from who? The primary caregivers, the parents, uh, the mother and the father. But what we have is this perfect example of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. His father passed away shortly after his conception, and his mother passed away when he was still young, right? The next person closer to him, closest to him was his grandfather who showed him a lot of tenderness and love, but he also passed away pretty early in his life. What we find is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took care of the Messenger of Allah in, in the best way, in the sense that all of his needs were taken care of, even this deep emotional need, right? And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa when he was living with Abu Talib, we, we know what happened when he lived with Halima, Saadiya, and her husband, uh, Abu Kabsha. We know that... Um, as soon as they took the Prophet in, they saw blessings in their life, just, you know, multiply. 
which obviously made them, made them love him more and express this to him. When he was living with Abu Talib, they found that whenever the Prophet وسلم, was there sharing a meal with them, uh, they found that everyone was satiated, everyone was full after the meal, no matter how much food there was or how little food there was. When he was absent, no one felt full. Right? So this individual, you know, wherever he went, every aspect of his life, you know, Allah blessed him and blessed those around him. <coughs> so not only that, <coughs> normally, for example, in, in the books of fiqh, they'll say it's, it's, it's disliked for, uh, a pe- uh, for an illegitimate child to lead the prayer. Right? Why? Generally, he's, he's been neglected. Right? So he won't know the ruling of the prayer. He won't know what to do if something goes wrong in general. And generally, you know, the, the, the understanding is that, you know, people that are deprived of these sorts of things, uh, of good parenting and stuff like this, um, you know, they have, uh, they have inclinations which are not in line with the rest of society. Sometimes these people end up in prison, sometimes all sorts happens. But what we find is the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, not only was uh, he taken care of to the degree that he himself was firm and whole, that he was able to, to help everyone, all of humanity. And he was completely stable, right? So there's, we have extremes, right? So one extreme, which is quite common to men, is uh, they shut their emotions down completely, right? And, you know, they'll only express um, anger or something like this, something that's seen as masculine, right? Uh, one of the Sahaba accepted Islam, he came to the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and he saw the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam kissing one of his grandsons, Hassan or Hussein and he said do you kiss your children? Like, there's something wrong with this like, do, do you kiss your children? and you know, the Messenger of Allah, there's two narrations one of them said, he said لا تنزع الرحمة إلا من شقي mercy or rahma can be, depending on the context, can be translated in many ways. Mercy, kindness, even love. It's not removed from someone except someone who is uh, wretched, unfortunate, right? Um, in another one, in another narration, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam said to him that, um, what can I do if Allah has plucked, if Allah has removed mercy from your heart, right? So we, found, we find him many a time, um, after the passing of Sayyidah Khadija radiallahu anha, someone came and knocked on the door right, in a particular way and it reminded him of Khadija who had passed away. Right? Whenever um, they slaughtered an animal, he'd send something to the friends of Khadija right, because of this. So these extremes come, whereas the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi was completely balanced in this way. There was no one, you know, I think one of the most masculine of qualities, you could, uh, if you were to define them, would be courage. And there was no one more courageous than the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa Whenever there was a battle, in the heat of the battle, he was right there at the very front. And, you know, إِذَا حَمِيَ الْوَطِيسِ اِحْتَمَيْنَا بِرَسُولِ اللَّهِ sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Sayyidina Ali said that when the oven got hot, Basically, when, when the fighting got intense, we, in, and some, you know, they, they got overwhelmed, oh my God, you know, it's getting hard now. They would protect themselves by going behind the Messenger of Allah, right? And he'd push back the enemy, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So, having this quality of kindness and gentleness and tenderness didn't negate anything that would be 
masculine in fact it was a perfect blend so this is what we have in a balanced person and we'll, we'll talk about this so what is balance so as human beings we have a body a mind a soul there's also the aspect of emotions and what's uh, what's significant is that the many many if if not the majority of our tests come through our emotions right many people forget this that the majority of the experiences that we have are related to emotions whether it's um someone nicking a parking parking spot you wanted to get into and you feel frustrated or whether it's someone giving you a gift and you feel happy right and it's your expression of that happiness like in gratitude to Allah when you realize that I've got this blessing or when you feel needy it's an emotion so you raise your hands and you ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ya rab fix this for me take care of this for me it's an emotion so there are and the issue is that in a balanced person the emotions are balanced someone who's imbalanced they're extreme they can mm-hmm. go from you know one extreme to the other and the issue is that many times we can't control our emotional state the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam due to him having many wives um there's something in the sharia called qasam and qasam is a division of uh, your time between multiple wives if someone has multiple wives so a night for a night and like that and in one situation he said allahumma hadha qasami fi ma amlik Oh Allah, this is my distribution in the matters that I have control over, right? How much time he gives to one and what gifts and everything. فَلَا تُؤَخِذْنِي بِمَا تَمْلِكُ وَلَا أَمْلِكُ So don't take me to account regarding that which you control and which I don't control. What was he referring to? He's referring to the love he felt uh, for his wives, right? Because he had an inclination, he, he loved Aisha uh, the most in Medina, Um of his wives there so he's saying that you know his emotions he had no control over these things right so what happens so we have these things called we've got what you call trauma and some people call it there's a division they say a little t trauma and a capital a big t right so a big t trauma capital t is like a major problem you go through like you know someone that goes through the holocaust or something like this right a long you know like a a kidnapping experience right or something other a, a massive uh, accident or something it's a big thing and it has it affects it affects you right you know you know if you have a car accident what happens you feel the initial shock maybe afterwards you you might not be as comfortable getting in the car driving whatever right because it reminds you of that <coughs> then what they call the little t traumas right which are things which you don't really notice and you don't really associate with a problem but they affect you nonetheless right um i've been worked with a number of people um it's it's always it's 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 like a revelation it's a it's a eureka moment in a negative sense actually um when people realize like if they have an issue like whatever someone is someone stutters or whatever for example and and then they find out what was the cause of it or it was that maybe they got embarrassed in public or something right so they don't want to put themselves in a position where they're out in front of people so you know it's a revelation when 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 they make a connection between this and that 
and subhanallah so uh, the, the, these traumas many people are affected by them. in fact practically everyone's affected by these things the smaller ones if there's a good solid emotional base based on good relationships it, they pass over you and you're all right and there's many examples of this um, but some things remain right and we have an example of this for example let's talk about this we have the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam his parents have passed away his you know grandfather and so throughout his life he's close, close to his uncles Abu Talib who passed away before he went to Medina then he's got two other uncles there's another one as well but there's Abbas who, and Hamza and Abbas hadn't accepted Islam at this point but Hamza did so he's and Hamza's just older than him maybe a year or so older than him so he's obviously very close to Sayyidina Hamza radiallahu an. and at the battle of Uhud we know that Hamza was killed by Wahshi right so he threw a spear into his intestines and then Sayyidina Hamza ended up dying and then we had Hind bint Utba the wife of Abu Sufyan and others who went and they mutilated the, uh, the, the, the corpse of Sayyidina Hamza cut off his uh, organs and ears and nose and cut him open she bit into his liver spat it out these sorts of things <coughs> and he was obviously very he was devastated by this right sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and to the point that he was overcome with emotion, right? He was overcome with emotion, and he said that uh, by Allah, they've um, they've mutilated your corpse, and this wasn't a done thing, right? It wasn't a done thing, right? And even 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 in, in most cultures, if you see a corpse, if you see a dead person, there's you know there's a level level of respect everyone gives to that, right? He once saw the corpse of uh, a Jewish man being taken and he stood up right and he said you know is he not a soul you know so he was so upset by this he said I swear by Allah that I'm going to mutilate 70 others in your place because they did this to you I'll do it to 70 others and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed a verse commanding him to do something better which was to not do that so he performed the kafara he did an expiation for his oath and he did this. So it was very obviously disturbing, traumatic experience. And anyone, anyone can go through this, right? These major turmoil things. Uh, we talked about, say, the Maryam as well, right? Imagine her coming from a family descended from Harun, alayhi salam, the Prophet. Um, she's, her, her uncle's a Prophet, family are known for religiousness. She's from birth, basically. She's been in the synagogue and she's been worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. She's known for this. She's known for miracles. She's known for karamat. You know, she would get, she'd get winter fruit just appearing in her, in her room in summer, summer fruit appearing in winter. And you know, her family, they're all known for this. And then all of a sudden, this, you know, this man enters who's an angel and she's, she asks protection from Allah. And he says, I've come to gift you a child. And she's like, how can I have a child? Uh, no man's ever touched me. Walam aku baghiya. And it's really beautiful. The word in Arabic is, walam akun baghiya. Right? So there's this noon on akun. And she removed the noon, so the word, and she says, I wasn't loose, right? In that sense, right? I wasn't loose in that sense. But when she said, walam aku, she actually removed the noon to, even, to minimize the word. So in no way whatsoever was I, you know, inappropriate or loose. Uh, so you can imagine her. فَأَجَاءَهَا الْمَخَاضُ إِلَىٰ جِذْعِ النَّخْلَةِ 
and so she's compelled, she's forced to this tree to go up against this tree. What does she have to do? She leaves the, the she leaves the town and she goes off to this place further east, and there's some palm trees, and then the contractions start, right? So she's all alone, and she's feeling all this pain. Obviously, no support. Never given birth before, and she was quite young at this age, probably around 14, right? And, and then there's all of this stuff going on in the background, and this is worse. All the stuff, what they're going to say, what's going to happen, what are my parents going to say, what's my mother going to say, she dedicated me to the synagogue, and she, she, all of this stuff going on in her head. And then she says something, you know, which is, you know, Ya laytani mittu qabla hadha. If only I had died way before this day. Before this day even came, if only I had died. Aw kuntu nasyan mansiya. Or if only I was something small and insignificant, which is just forgotten, right? So, you know, radiallahu anha. So, you know, the support came and she was told, just shake this palm tree. And obviously, shaking a tree is, is not an easy matter. And all the dates came and she went, uh, she went into the town with the child. And they had a fast, a type of fasting, which was where you don't speak and there's one exception, you can speak to tell someone, I'm, I've, I've got a fast where I'm not speaking. So Allah told her to say this. Uh, so she goes in there and then they're like, you know, and they're like straight away, shame on you. How could you do this, right? You know, your brother was like this and, you know, they, they start bringing up the family, right, to insult the family. And generally people, you know, if, if, if people have something good, there's always, Kullu ni'matin mahsud, the Prophet said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, everyone who's, everyone who's got a lot of blessings, you know, so there's someone out there jealous of him. So people like to vent whatever their own frustrations are. So <clears throat> they're saying all of this, and she points to him. And they say, how can we speak to a kid, you know, in, in a cradle, right, this age? And he said, inni Abdullah, I am the servant of Allah. And as the story continues, but just her in this extreme situation, this feeling, this to the point where she's wishing to be dead, right? And, you know... Uh, there is a hadith, there's a hadith of the Prophet wasallam said, in the end of times a man will walk past a grave and he'll wish that he was inside the grave instead of whoever's buried there. And, you know, it shows that, you know, there are people, you know, you can get pushed in life to this point, right? And, and it shows that there's ways out and there are ways out of these things. So, okay, imbalance, right? <coughs> so you have these traumas, small and major. Let's start with the, the, the most common one, which is what they call developmental trauma. Stuff that occurs as you're growing up. So because it's happening as you're growing up, the trauma is, the problems are intertwined with your very personality. Right? So this uh, can happen, for example, with uh, an abusive childhood, right? What's interesting is the way our brain works, uh, brains work, is uh, um, they work, uh, the, the brain waves that we have work at different speeds, right? And right now you're all in what, what they call beta brain waves, right? It's a fairly quick brain wave speed and it's normal conscious brain wave speed. If you're concentrating, they're a bit faster. As soon as you close your eyes, they slow down to what you call alpha waves. So you have more concentration here. Right? So if you make dhikr or whatever, if your eyes are closed, you'll find you have more. 
concentration. <coughs> then the lower, the, the stage below this are what they call theta waves, and then below that are delta waves. Delta waves, you have, you experience them. If you have good deep sleep, you enter delta waves, and they're essential for health. Um, but these delta waves, when a child is born for the first two years, you're in delta waves. Very slow brainwave activity, which is why most people can't recall the first two years. Who remembers the day they were born? No one, right? You can't, you know, you don't remember it. After, after a while, they speed up to, but still slow, theta waves. Now, theta waves are super, uh, it's a super receptive state, yeah? Meaning that you learn very quickly. And children are learning all the time. Have you ever noticed, look at a child whose, whose parents you know well. And you'll notice the child's facial expressions, the way the child raises his eyebrows or smiles or whatever, is the same as the parent, right? So the child is learning this from the parent at this early age. And, you know, children that are around, for example, if there's a lot of fighting going on, whatever, then this child grows up to be someone that's always arguing and fighting, right? This is perception, right? Not always, but, you know. And then, so, Wallahu akhrajakum min butuni ummahatikum uh, yeah? Allah removed, Allah, Allah brought you forth from the wombs of your mothers not knowing anything, right? A tabla rasa, as they say, a blank slate. And so we learn, there are instincts that we have, and we learn certain behaviors, such as clever children, they know, oh, if I make a cute face, I'll get away with it, yeah? And uh, these sorts of things. So, um, and then, so we learn these things, and the human being generally is we're like um, a, a computer right and when you buy a new windows computer what do you have to do you install the operating system right and your operating system is is being installed in your first few years the way you perceive reality is being installed in your first few years so these initial years are extremely important up until the age of six maybe even eight that they are what shape you as a person, right? That is what you will be generally like uh, throughout your life. And so if someone experiences some sort of trauma throughout this stage, then it's a problem, right? Because the trauma is deep-seated. It's embedded within the person. And it takes time. You can't you can get around it. But it takes time to work on these issues. And so at the end when we talk about healing and getting over these things, one thing you have to remember is something, firstly, um, I might as well talk about it now, but what we have is defense mechanisms, right? Which is people do certain things. You might push people away or you might do X, Y, and Z. Whatever you do as a defense mechanism, it's not there the reason why it's there is to keep you safe and it's to keep you away from pain so if you try to say if you have this mindset I don't like this thing that I do I want to get rid of it right your subconscious mind is going to fight back we'll talk more about this it will fight back because that thing is there keeping it safe keeping you safe from that pain so the understanding that you know that, that's essential is that I want to remove the need for the defense mechanisms. Because if there is no pain, there's nothing to, that I need to keep myself safe from. That's one point. And secondly, sometimes if 
someone has had developmental trauma, these things, um, something that's come over a number of years might not disappear overnight. It might take some time. And anything that you do, do to fix it, to help yourself, is sadaqah. Right? This is one of the most amazing things about Islam, that you benefit from everything. And just spending some money on yourself, for example, to, to heal or you know, for whatever, it's, it's sadaqah. And it's as though you're, you're giving charity to someone else, right? spending it on yourself. Okay, so stuff like what, I mean, one thing is very common is usually when I teach tajweed, almost everyone that learned Quran in mosques, you know, has this issue, right? Some people just can't learn tajweed, right? Not because they're inept or incapable or they've got a different, you know, set of, you know, teeth or whatever. It's because of what they've experienced in the past. Most people uh, in this country, from what I know, Allahu A'lam, right? They got a good few smacks while still learning Quran. And to be honest with you, someone that is hitting a child whilst trying to teach him the book of Allah shouldn't be teaching that book, right? And I mean, there's not a judgment or criticism of that person accepting this act. Like if you're hitting someone because a kid is reciting innahu when it should be annahu or something like this, then there's a problem, right? And there are many, many, I mean, if you go to the mosques, right? <laughs> right? You go to the mosques and they're empty. Right, there's a few, there's a few Bawi at the front, right? All the pensioners line up there, and how many young people are there? Hardly any. Why? Most people do not want to walk into a mosque, and I know this. I've you know I've spoke to people, I have friends, and they feel extremely uncomfortable, right? First because of the glares that they get, or oh, that's Flana's son, right? What's he doing in the mosque now, <laughs> right? And and then secondly, it's all these memories, like you know. Um, I, I have a friend who um, I tried teaching him some Tajweed once, uh, just, just the pronunciation of the letters. And he struggled a lot. He struggled with reading the Arabic text. And I know he had some issue in the mosque, but he's blocked out the memory. He can't recall it now, right? But we know. So people make mistakes when they're reading the Quran, when, they, when they're trying to learn it, or they shut down because of this. This is one experience. Another experience could be bullying. Right? When you're constantly you know, in a situation, it can affect a person. Right? And what generally happens, people take on personas, right? uh, which we'll talk about. You take on a persona, you, t you start believing things. Right? So in a general sense, what happens with trauma? Right? Not always, but... And this helps when it comes to trying to heal from it as well. Imagine a tree, it's got a few branches, right? It's got roots, it's got the trunk, and it's got leaves, flowers, fruit, whatever. In one sense, you can imagine this to be your psyche, your, your subconscious. So what we have is you yourself about 10% is your conscious mind, 
your prefrontal cortex, what you choose, what you decide, what you think, what you want, right? This is what you are, right? There's more aspects to it. But this is basically what you can choose to be, what you can choose to do. The rest of it <coughs> is your subconscious mind. And this is one of the most this is amazing creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah has created it in a way which, when, you, when I tell you some of this stuff, you're going to be like, no, that can't be the case. But it's really intelligent. But the problem with the subconscious is it's got the intellectual age of a two or three year old. And a two or three year old, if you try getting a two or three year old to do something difficult in order to get a benefit, right? Sit down and memorize this or whatever. And if you don't want to do it, he won't do it, right? He'll, he'll, he'll push back, he'll resist. This is what the subconscious is like. It does its best to avoid pain. So what we have, the 90%, roughly, is your subconscious mind. And the difference between the two is amazing. Your conscious mind deals with 40 bits of data. A bit is like a piece, like uh, when you have megabytes or whatever with computers. It means it's a, it's a select, tiny, one piece of information. Your conscious mind can deal with 40 bits of information in a, in a second. And what it does, it blocks most of these out. Right? And so right now, you're listening to the sound of my voice, but until I mention it, you probably won't be conscious of the way your socks feel next to your feet, on your feet. When I mentioned it, you might, your attention has gone there. Right? So it blocks certain things out. The subconscious is amazing. It can deal with more than 4 million bits of data every second. And what's amazing is your subconscious sees the world through the filter of your experiences, which is what you've gone through in the past. And when you're looking out at the world now with people, dealings, everything, your subconscious sees the world through all of those experiences. And if they've been positive, it's a positive experience, right? You know, people are confident, happy, all of these things. If they've been negative, then people see it that way as well, right? Very negative. And so, for example, someone that's been betrayed, right? Whatever, as a child or whatever, two, three, four times, what happens is this person sees the world like this, so they're always suspicious, they're always worried, all of these things. Okay, so what we see on our tree, <coughs> just out of the top, this is the fruits and the plants or whatever. These are what you call symptoms. Right? Symptoms. Someone has a stutter, someone has a... <coughs> someone is... Um, uh, giddy, right? So people have all sorts. I know someone who, his defense mechanism is he laughs when he's in an uncomfortable situation. So he was abroad, he was, he was in Morocco, and, uh, you know, someone said to him, oh, you know, my dad died. And he just started laughing, right? That's how he deals with it. And obviously, uncomfortable situation, right? If you got that one, other people just can't stop grinning, these sorts of things. Um, and it can be anything. You know, behavior, that's... You know, critical behavior, you might see someone just start criticizing, whatever. You might, whatever you do to, to, to feel safe yourself. And not everyone realizes this. Not everyone realizes what they're doing or why they're doing it. Right? And 
Why do you have these things? Well, there are some causes. Firstly, events. That day when someone nicked your pocket pen when you were six years old, right? And they never gave it back. So that memory is within you. Then also you have what they call, so these are descending in strength. And you have emotions, what I like to term feelings as well. The difference is an emotion, anger, hatred, guilt, sadness, pain, whatever. And a feeling is a sensation you have in your body, right, which is, subhanAllah, for example, فَتَوَلَّ عَنْهُمْ وَقَالَ يَا أَسَفَ عَلَى يُوسُفُ وَبْيَضَّتْ عَيْنَاهُ مِنَ الْحُزْنِ I forgot the verse. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about, um, he talks about two prophets in this way. He talks about Sayyidina Yunus. What happened to Sayyidina Yunus? He was told, go warn these people. And they weren't listening, so he left. And then Allah had commanded him to stop warning them, right? So, you know, he gets thrown off the ship and then he goes into the, the whale and then he comes ashore. And, uh, what is it? Makvum, uh, right? So he called Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala while he's makvum, right? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes. Sayyidina Ya'qub as Kavim. So same word Kavama and uh, the description of Sayyidina Ya'qub was a lot stronger because of his problem. We'll talk about him. This was a long term. And what does this Makvum mean? Your thyroid gland, right? Have you ever noticed that if you're really upset and really sad, it feels like your throat's closing in. Yeah? Your thyroid gland. It's, it's getting contracted. And it's when you're extremely overwhelmed, it hurts in some cases. And kavum is literally means to get a container and you're tying it up to prevent what's inside it come out. So if you imagine you've got a fizzy drink and you bottle it and you shake it right? and, and then you, you put the lid on a lot tighter so that nothing comes out, that's kavum. So Sina Yaqub and Sina Yunus, they got to this stage where they're just so overwhelmed by emotion that you know, it's, it's closing in, right? A strong emotional state. <coughs> and <coughs> so that's the difference emotions feelings and then what you come down to here is beliefs right and they're not religious beliefs beliefs about the world about the way you are right so someone who thinks uh, no one loves me right this is how they perceive the world and your thoughts stem from your beliefs right so someone that thinks no one loves me their thoughts will always be along this track, right? Uh, and sometimes it goes, I'm unlovable, you know, I'm the worst thing alive. These sorts of things, this is what happens. So these beliefs end up producing what we call something like a self-fulfilling prophecy. So someone starts a job, no one likes me. So instead of going and mixing with people, making friends, whatever, what do you do? Right? And this is very common. I've seen, uh, I've worked with you know, a number of people like this, right? Um, the common themes that people have of emotional issues, they're, they're not many, so it's, it's, it's quite... So what happens is, he might go and he'll sit alone, and he'll think, they, they, won't, they don't want to know me, so I'll sit here. And they'll think, well, he wants to be alone, we'll leave him be. Then after a few weeks, it's set. He doesn't go there, they don't come here, and whatever, right? <coughs> so it's self-fulfilling prophecies. And we see this over and over, right?
And these two are generally, the emotions and feelings and the beliefs are generally what's there in developmental trauma, long-term trauma, right? And that's the stuff. It's not impossible to remove, uh, it's, it's very possible. But that's where generally a lot of difficulty comes, right? So someone that has had developmental trauma, um, as a child you might get away with it, you might be fine, right? As an adult you might be fine, right? But it's like this bottle of you know, fizzy drink that you're shaking. There comes a day where, boom, it blows up, right? And then <coughs> it happens usually to people in their 20s or 30s, and they, they walk around, they start, they're depressed, they're feeling, you know, and depression is, you know, it's not a choice, right? You know, some people seem to think, oh, I just snap out of it. No, right? If it was a choice, who would choose to be miserable, right? And it's like a filter that comes down over you. Your perception of the world changes, right? Everything's negative. You can't appreciate the positive. It's, 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 it's a difficult state to be in. And so people are depressed and people have all sorts of other issues, um, you know, temper issues, uh, you know, just generally there's a whole list of, of symptoms, right? And if you have these issues, you have to deal with them. You have to find a means of recovery. Why? Because as life goes on, they get worse. They really do, right? Because what happens with your experiences is <coughs> a snowball effect, right? Your Let's say someone makes you feel, you do something, you hurt someone, and then you feel guilty as a child. Right? You feel guilt at that moment. And then the next time you experience an event, what happens is, because your subconscious is seeing the world through all of this stuff, what happens is that guilt, the second time you feel guilt, it's easier for you to feel guilt, and it triggers the previous guilt. So now you've got two events, or two sets of guilt. Then the next time something happens, three, four, five, ten, hundred, thousands, right? It keeps happening in life. So sometimes people are, you know, overtaken by a particular feeling, by a particular emotion, right? Whether it's anger, whether it's guilt, whether it's sadness, frustration, whatever. All of these things keep snowballing. And if you don't find a way of recovering, then what happens? They pass down to your children. Literally, well, like I said about the you know, facial expressions of the child, parents pass on these things. And I've, you, know, you see a number of families where they all have, because of shared experiences, naturally, but you know, they all have a similar emotional response to things. They all have similar emotional trauma, right? A parent can pass on a particular emotion to a child because of you know, the way they are. Sometimes they'll behave in a way which induces that emotion from the child. And sometimes they behave in a way <coughs> which um, makes a child just adopt it anyway, right? So this thing from childhood, this developmental trauma is very, very important, right? And it's something that requires time, effort, and patience. And if you have this, if you're affected by this, then this is your test in life, right? أَلَمْ يَرَوْ إِلَامَهُ الْأَطْفَالَ وَشِبْهَهَا فَحَاذِرِ الْمِحَالَ In one of the poems on Aqidah, the author of the poem, Imam al-Laqqani, he's, he's refuting the Mu'tazili sect. And so there's a point 
<clears throat> there's a point where because the Mu'tazili they had all these weird beliefs but he's refuting them and he's saying that Allah can um, Allah, Allah causes pain to, in children right? children experience pain right and I was reflecting on this and the reason what, and what I realized was that the reason why you go through pain and stuff as a child is because of this operating system we were talking about right? your life experiences will start in childhood um, there's a, an author, Dr. Gabba Mate, and he's an MD medical doctor, and he's got a number of works on this. <coughs> and um, he says physical illnesses, right, uh, are very tightly connected to your emotional state, right? Um, I can recall every time I get ill, I know that there's something happening, right, generally, right? For flu, there's, there's something going on in the background. Um, and it's very common, just try it yourself. You just think back the last few times when you got ill and what was happening in your life. So he's got a book called uh, what was it? Um, uh, When the Body Says No. right? And people who bury their feelings are very prone to this. If you go and bury everything, <coughs> you don't allow yourself to feel your emotions. right? This really hurts a person. And it can, you can just imagine you know, uh, this bottle of coke that you're shaking and shaking and shaking eventually it's you know if the top's not on tight boom right so uh, he's got the other what was it what was it, what was it? ghosts of the past uh, the realm of hungry ghosts the realm of hungry ghosts right i haven't read this one yet right but similar similar points that it's your experience as a child is um they shape you as an adult right and if you don't like i said it gets passed on so it's your test and seeking a means to you know, recovering from this is what you know you you be you be rewarded for, right? It's not your fault, which is a very important point. Right? For example, um, a child sees the world with it at the center. So every child sees, you know, itself and the world around it. So for example, um, children, for example, that go through sexual abuse, um, what do they do? They end up blaming themselves because they can't fathom this act and they can't fathom why someone would do this to them. So, and you know, adults are normally good and whatever. So, or, so eventually what happens is they blame themselves. It was me, it was my fault, I was naughty, I was dirty. Right? These sorts of things. They do this and then this is how it continues in life. <coughs> so, uh, that's with developmental trauma. Um, <clears throat> It's very significant, and I, I guarantee you, someone that's anyone that's had a rough upbringing or an upbringing not necessarily with violence, where they were hit or whatever, abused or anything like this, where there was neglect, where there was neglect, and I've seen this a lot, especially in Pakistani men, right? Is where the fathers are too busy, you know, working or they're too busy doing whatever, right? And there's, you know, the, the children are neglected, right? And this is huge. This is huge. And you know, the, the role of parents in this is huge as well. Right? What we find, for example, um, Leonard Sachs uh, <clears throat> in his book, uh, Girls on the Edge, he's talking about certain things. He said that um, one of the problems of, of um, modern society is sometimes the menstrual cycle starts too early in girls. <coughs> in the Sharia, if it's before nine years old, it's not counted as menstruation. But uh, it sometimes starts too early, and it has all sorts of other issues and whatever, right? And he's saying that 
uh, girls need their fathers around, right? Which is, and he said one of the things is that the pheromones, basically the, the, the fathers, the biological fathers sweat, right? Has, has chemicals in it which the, the child needs, which help her, which actually delay the onset of menstruation, right? The, benefit, the child benefits from this, right? And, you know, there are a number of things where, you know, certain behaviours uh, come about due to a lack of a close relationship with either parent, right? It's not just the father and it's not just the mother, right? Both are important. And <coughs> if someone's grown up without uh, love from the parents, and I'll touch on love, uh, but if someone's grown up with, without love or if you've grown up with a, uh, an overly critical parent, right? I was in Amman once, and there, there's, a, there's a guy, and so he, he sat next to a radiator. It was Ramadan, we went for Taraweeh to start. He sat next to a radiator with his son, and his son's about nine, and he was like, you know, it was like being in, a, being in a dictatorship, you know. If he put his hand on his lap the wrong way, the father would tell him off. If he just stretched out, tell him off. Uh, he, the kid couldn't do anything. He just had to sit there almost frozen in that spot. And this is out in public, right? Imagine what the kid has to go through at home. A really, a really controlling parent, right, is, you know, I can imagine what this child must have gone through at home. And then in turn, that child grows up to have the same issues, right, or similar issues. So it's, it's something very, very common. Right, so if there's a lack of love, then <coughs> there's you know there's likely to be these things. It <coughs> if you do feel you have you have some issues, um, depression or anything like this, then you need to seek help. Right, don't try to do it yourself. Right, find a therapist, find someone to work with. I'll talk about possible th therapies. Um, other other types of common issues are, are like OCD. Right. And OCD has many forms. Sometimes people have what they call intrusive thoughts. Something comes into your head, and another thing, and another thing, and another thing, and you don't want it, right? It just comes in. Other people have issues of uh, hoarding, right? For example, they'll just, um, they'll just <coughs> pile up stuff and they can't get rid of it or whatever. <coughs> and unfortunately, you know, <coughs> sometimes what happens is uh, sometimes they will go to religious scholars, uh, they'll ask for advice, I've got this issue, I've got that issue, and the person is unaware. So what they'll do, they'll open up a, a traditional textbook from a, you know, a few hundred years ago and say, oh, your issue is this. And say someone with hoarding, they'll say, the dunya should be in your hand and not in your heart. And to this person, it's like, you know, you just shattered me, like, I don't know what to do. My whole perception of the world is in this way. And if the trauma is not, you know, addressed, then that issue stays. It, it remains. It gets worse, right? Other issues. One very common one is just with tahara, wudu, right? And you know, with some people, it's, it's extreme. And like, I had a question of someone. You know, you know, what happens if when I'm doing istinja, the drops go on my thighs or they go on my leg? And what happens if the drops from the istinja go on my neck? And I'm like. Unless you're doing it whilst you're doing a handstand. <laughs> I don't see how that could be possible, right? But, you know, and then the issue is, the more they ask, the more answers they get, the more wasps they get, 
right? So yes, you know, shaitan can have an element in this. People might not have, have the issue regarding this, but as soon as they start praying or whatever, it gets focused on wudu, it gets focused on the prayer, it gets focused on deen in general. Yes, shaitan can have it, but it's not the only cause. وَجَعَلْنَاهَا رُجُومًا لِلشَّيَاطِينَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, He says, meteors, are, he, He's made them as a means of stoning the devils who go up into the sky. But is that the only reason why there'd be a meteor in the sky? No. Right? So the same thing, shaitan does come. And generally, shaitan, he may want you to lose hope, give up, and just think, you know, I'm done for, and just leave, leave the deen. Right? <coughs> so, so this is a common one as well. Right? Uh, so we'll talk more about this. The other stuff is um, other traumas. So something like a car accident, or, you know, anything, just one major incident which has got nothing to do with your childhood or two major incidents or a long-term thing which has got nothing to do with your childhood right and these issues can develop you have a person perfectly fine and they they start a job and the, the employer is abusive for example and they feel stuck i can't leave the job i need the money i need this i need that i can't be here i can't you know and it, just, it continues like this, right? Or, you know, at home, you know, normally you want to go home so you can have peace and quiet, but when you go home, it's, you know, it's World War Three, uh, And, you know, there's just a constant barrage of stress coming, right? And you go out and there's the stresses of life anyway, and there's no way of just detoxing from it all. You know, this is also trauma. And people experience this and the issue is with both sets of trauma, little t, big t trauma, that it might be something you can handle initially. You, as a child, you find, you find ways of getting around it. As an adult, you find ways of dealing with it. But if you neglect it, what happens? It becomes a psychosis. It becomes a mental issue. Right? So, you know, if you're, if you're hearing voices in your head and whatever, and generally if you speak to someone with uh, a mental illness, and it is an illness. It's not something that you know. You know, it's not something to be shunned. Uh, in our in our community, generally, what is it, right? People say, oh, you know, it's magic. Someone's done some whatever magic on you, right? No, not necessarily, right? And you know, and sometimes it's that. Sometimes it's uh, it's a lack of uh, you know you know, vitamins and stuff that people need, right? Your, 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 you know, vitamin D is, 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 is a big one. Uh, and sometimes people have that, but sometimes it's not that. Sometimes it's just what you've been through, right? And it's, it's really significant that... Uh, let me give you an, an idea of what people go through and how they go through it. <coughs> Sidna Ya'qub, alayhi salatu wasalam, he has two sons, he has 12 sons, and he loves one dearly, Yusuf, alayhi salam. And he loves Binyamin as, uh, almost as much. So the other brothers, you know, shaitan comes, and this is where shaitan comes in, you know, fills the ideas. Shaitan made them think, think that what they're doing is great, right? You know, go kill Yusuf or throw him in a far off land, and then after that you can be righteous, right? They, he tricked them. So anyway, They go, they throw Yusuf in the well, he, they come back, and he's an old man at this time. He can't escape, uh, and so he can't go looking for them, uh, uh, looking for Yusuf, and he has no idea, and he's got no one to help him, right? So 
there's, you know, the, some of the ways trauma sets in is when you feel alone, according to Dr. Peter Levine is, uh, in his book, was it taming uh, something about the tiger? You feel alone, you feel no one can help you, and you know, you feel some sort of pain, basically, right? So he's there, he's alone, and his sons won't help him, who's he going to turn to, right? And then you fast forward a number of years, and then when Binyamin's taken, he goes back. He leaves their company, Ya Asafa ala Yusuf. Oh, my deep, deep grief over Yusuf. Hang on, Yusuf has been gone 40 years. Binyamin's just been taken. Remember that snowball effect I talked about? It's that. So that pain he's feeling is actually the pain of, of Yusuf's loss. And it's just, Binyamin's loss has just been added to it. Right? And then he says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَبْيَضَّتْ عَيْنَاهُ مِنَ الْحُزْنِ His eyes went white. مِنَ الْحُزْنِ This min is min ibtida'iyya, meaning it's the direct cause. So this grief that he's experiencing is a direct cause of his eyes going white. What does it mean his eyes went white? He got cataracts. Where the pupil goes white, there's a, there's a layer of something in front of it and you know it uh, affects the, uh, your vision. So, and what's really significant, and I've seen this in a number of people, a number of situations, is that the one he wants to see is not there, Yusuf. And the ones, the children who remind him of that pain, are there in front of him every day. So what happens as a defense mechanism? The eyes go. Yeah? And I've seen this a number of times in a number of situations. For example, people normally get, it's, it's like your body or your subconscious gives you hints, right? And there's books that have been written on this, but um, <clears throat> like sometimes uh, your shoulder, when I, when I was doing some training for some therapy, there was a lady and she said, I've got a pain, you know, this pain right here, whatever. <clears throat> so the trainer, she sat her down doing the therapy, whatever, and then eventually came down to the cause I get it in school holidays, right? Okay, what happens in school holidays? Oh, my son's home. How would you describe your son? He's a pain in the neck. And literally, the body uses metaphors, right? Sometimes if you're working, in, if you're in a situation where someone's not flexible, um, or they're just, just rigid approach or whatever, um, they don't change, they don't, it's my way or the highway or whatever, what happens? People sometimes get pain in their elbow, right? Which is golfer's elbow or tennis elbow. Godfather's elbow on the inside and tennis elbow on the outside, and it's it's a very difficult injury because um, it makes just lifting base. You can, just holding a book up is painful, right? <coughs> and it's the body saying, "Get out of this situation. You've got this, right?" I've seen situations where uh, people have uh, the need to go to the bathroom really soon after drinking something, and that's it's the body saying, "Get out of this situation." Right, so we have this. So the same with Sayyidina uh, Yaqub. I believe that this was the case. وَبِيَضَّتْ عَيْنَاهُ مِنَ الْحُزْنِ وَهُوَ كَظِيمٌ. So, okay, I'll go on for a bit more. We can have some questions. So, right. So, what do we do? Right. What do we do? Okay. There's a number of ways. Firstly, the first thing to do is to get out of the situation that's causing any issues, right? You make some adjustments to your life, and sometimes it's not possible. Sometimes you might get tested and you're placed in a situation you cannot get away from, yeah? 
So in this situation, you need to learn how to live with this difficulty. And the first thing that we have as believers is that you turn to Allah. One of the greatest, we were talking about tawakkul on, on, on Friday shortly. Tawakkul, uh, a wakil. What's a, what's a wakil? In Urdu we say wakil for a, for a lawyer in court. But what it means is someone who speaks on your behalf. He's your representative. So tawakkul is when you take your problem, your pain, your difficulty, and you say, I can't deal with this. And then the, usually the word tawakkul is used with Allah. Right? And Allah means to be on top of something, literally and metaphorically. So it's like you're taking your pain and you're placing it on the power of Allah. Oh Allah, you deal with it, please. Right? <coughs> and that's the first thing. Right? So in a difficulty, you turn to Allah. That's why you've got the, you've got the thing in the first place. Right? لِيُخَفِّفْ أَلَمَ الْبَلَاءِ عَنْكَ إِلْمُكَ بِأَنَّهُ سُبْحَانَهُ هُوَ Right? Let the pain of your trials and tribulation be lightened by your knowledge that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who is trying you, right? Why? فَهَلْ عَوَّدَكَ إِلَّا حَسْنًا وَهَلْ أَسْدَى إِلَيْكَ إِلَّا مِنَنًا Has Allah ever got you accustomed to anything but the best? Anything that happens in your life, when you look back at it, you think, you know what, I'm glad that happened, I'm glad that happened, right? People that go through these really difficult uh, experiences, what do they do? They say, you know, I'm glad it happened because what? It made me the person that I am, right? This is part of the tarbiyah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then, has he ever been giving you anything but blessings? And then, you know, we're all sat here in a room which is nice and warm and cozy. You've got shoes on your feet, right? You know, I mean, you're not having to walk around Bradford barefoot. You know, there's so many things that we have. So, <clears throat> you know, this understanding is that you turn to Allah. That's the very first thing, right? Very, very first thing. With what? With dua, right? And there are people, Allah prolongs their test because he loves hearing from them. He loves it when they call on him. And some people have a lot of tests. Right? When Allah loves a person, he tests him time and time and time and time and time again. Right? So there's no need to feel this despair. If you're caught up in the moment, that's one thing. If you're caught up by emotion, if you're overwhelmed by emotion, like Sidna. Uh, uh, <clears throat> Like the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, he felt that emotion at that point, um, like say the Maryam, then that's one thing. But turn to Allah, right? Now, one thing I forgot to mention is, at the conquest of Uhud, <coughs> when sorry, at the conquest of, of Makkah, Wahshi came to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, the man who killed Hamza. And what did the Messenger of Allah do? At that moment, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam asked him to leave his presence. He didn't want to see him. Why? Because it reminded him of the pain he felt at the passing of Sayyidina Hamza, right? And he didn't want, you know, any sort of distress that he's going through. He didn't want that to be a cause of something, you know, some sort of punishment or something for Wahshi. So he said, just leave, leave my sight. So this is where, you know, someone goes through something and usually people that don't understand the depth of this issue are not understanding. They'll say, snap out of it, man up, you know, get over it. That's a common one, get over it. I'm sorry, but, you know, if, you're, if you go through something like this, you can't just get over it. In fact, there's a hadith for the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. I can't recall the exact reward, but there's a particular reward promised 
So when you go through a calamity, when you say something like Inna Lillahi wa Inna Ilayhi Rajiun, we belong to Allah and we're returning to Him, right? So it's an expression of slavehood, right? You do what you want with me, Ya Rabb. The Prophet said, and it's a weaker hadith, but there's benefit in it, <coughs> that someone who experiences a difficulty and then later in life, years later, if he recalls that and he says something like Inna Lillahi wa Inna Ilayhi Rajiun, he gets the same reward as he would as he would have in the same moment he experienced it. Why? Right. So this Professor Van der Kolk, he's got this discussion in one of his books where a number of people who've been through traumatic experiences, they've been put in these MRI machines and they're scanning their brains and whatever. They did a couple of tests. <clears throat> Firstly, um, there's a lady and she had lost her child seven years prior to that test. Seven years ago, she'd been driving and she set off and the kid hadn't put her seatbelt on. So she turns around and she's trying to put the seatbelt on the child, but she went through some red lights and she got hit by a car. And in that moment, the child died, right? So imagine the pain, the grief, the guilt that she's going through. So years later, they put her inside this MRI machine and they ask her, they ask her, you know, talk about the experience. And the same parts of the brain lit up uh, that would light up if she was physically going through that at that moment. Yeah? And this is, you know, amazing. Uh, so he talks about another test that they did where they got a number of people, they put them in this machine. And <clears throat> what happened is they're supposed to be playing a game, some volleyball game, right, on this machine, uh, whilst, the, whilst the test being conducted. So there's four or five people. Now, they don't know this, but the game's been rigged. Each one goes into the game thinking that they're, gonna, each, that they're playing a normal game, but the game was rigged to make everyone feel that they're being excluded by everyone else. The other people are playing, but they're not letting me take part. No one passes them the ball. And it goes on, and they're meant to be there for a while. And the same parts of the brain lit up uh, as, as the parts that normally express physical pain. Physical pain. So if you go through something, and then someone says to you, oh, just get over it. No, it's, in fact, it's actually worse than physical pain. Physical pain, you can take some drugs, you can take something, and you, know, you can mask the symptom, and it's, you don't experience it. You take some paracetamol, your headache goes away. But this stuff, it's not like that. And it goes on and on, and other stuff reminds it, it reminds you of it. And people get to a point where, like I said, it develops into a mental illness where they cannot function. Right? They cannot function. Right? So, <clears throat> what was I talking about? Yeah, what to do. So, yeah, the first thing you turn to Allah. Right? Um, dua is huge. Right? So if you're in a situation you can't get out of dua, is huge. And secondly, just float. What do you mean by float? If you're out at sea and the tide is coming in and whatever, and you're a mile out, what, what do you do? If you try swimming against the sea, you're going to get tired, you'll, you'll drown. But if you just stop and just let it happen, whatever's happening, if it's out of your control, just let it happen. Right? You know, Allah will take care of you. That's a guarantee. Right. Allah will take care of you. It might be difficult, it might be extremely painful, you might be pushed to your limit, but Allah will take care of you. Right? He doesn't you know, just leave you. So what happens is, <coughs> if you float, if you, if you stop resisting, you, you float, and then the, sea will, the tide will take you in, or you can swim when the waters calm down. 
right? And you know, worship, zikr, and these sorts of things are, are very useful, right? Because it takes your mind away from the pain, right? And depending on the thing, and depending on the thing, you know, um, sometimes people have a common a common uh, defense mechanism is an addiction, right? People get addicted to all sorts of things. And what's the addiction for, right? The addiction is there because this person feels that they need to forget or get away from certain pain, right? And unfortunately, sometimes people make poor choices and there can be addictions to you know, pornography and all sorts of things like this. And it has a physical effect, you know, the dopamine hit every time they, they go and then it decreases, so they need to do more to get the same hit, these sorts of things. But it doesn't appear in a vacuum. I was, I was driving down White Abbey Road once and there's a Pakistani man about 50 years old, and he's drunk. And there's all these teenagers coming out after him, you know, saying stuff and, you know, insulting him. And I felt really sorry for this man, right? Because normally you don't see a normal, you know, 50-year-old Pakistani man drunk with a bottle of whatever in his hand walking on the road. He must have gone through something, right? He must have gone through something. Someone that has an extreme reaction or an extreme uh, defensive mechanism he must have gone through something. And that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala judges people, right? For us to judge a people, or he's a good for nothing because he does this or that, or he's a terrible person because he does, does this or that, you know, who are you to judge, right? Who are you to judge? And sometimes you can judge a person, especially people in positions of authority or something, you can judge a person or you can treat a person going through something like this in, in a way, especially if it's harsh, that could push them, you know, to to suicide. It could push them out of the deen. It could push them to places they don't want to go, right? So people that are vulnerable, you have to you have to deal with them with kindness, gentleness, like the Messenger of Allah did, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. It has to be like this, right? So, and then treatments. Okay, what can you do? <coughs> there are a number of things out there. So if you go to if you go to a doctor. Um, Firstly, first things first, right? If you have suicidal thoughts or if you know someone like that, get them to a doctor, right? Get them to a professional, right? That's the first thing. Don't try to do some, you know, home remedy or whatever. Get them to a professional, right? Um, but beyond that, you know, if, if there are issues, then there are a number of things. If you go to most doctors, what they'll say is take some drugs, take some antidepressants, or take this and take that. <coughs> the problem is with these things, they come with a list of other side effects, right? You know, sometimes you'll take an antidepressant and you'll say it's possible side effects depression, <laughs> right? So, the, the issue is, they, they, they recommend these, and they, they, they give this medication, simply because of the number of cases they're dealing with, and it's not possible. Sometimes, like I said, therapy can take years, Right to fix yourself, so sometimes you know they don't have that time. The NHS won't allow it, so they, they just prescribe drugs. Drugs are not always the best thing, right? If you're feeling, feeling suicidal, and they give you some drugs and take them, right? But um, it's not always the best thing. Um, and there are uh, there's there's an article you can find on the internet called "The Emperor's New Drugs," right? It's a it's a parody of the Emperor's New Clothes, like children's story. Now, sometimes in uh, you know, uh, good exercise basically does the same as is as effective as some of the best drugs out there for depression and things like this. Um, and then beyond that, there's there's, there's therapy. <clears throat> now, there's a difference between counselling and therapy. Counselling is just like 
you know, well-educated advice from someone, right? And they all have a place, right? You know, I'm not saying one thing's um, worse than the other, whatever. Some are more effective, and there are various means of approaching this. So, what the, the normal traditional CBT, right, this therapy, you go and you talk about the problem. Like, for example, if you're depressed, they'll give you a list of questions to ask yourself and if you do it successfully, it will lift your depression, right? It might do, right? Um, I'm sure it does work, right? Otherwise, there wouldn't be. But what it does, the issue with this approach is it, it reinforces the trauma. If you go and you start talking about it, like we talked, like this lady who's in the MRI machine, uh, it reinforces the pain that you go through if you keep talking about it over and over and over. That's why sometimes... You know, um, generally, like, for example, the advice I give, like um, if a couple goes through a divorce or whatever, I say, I say to them, don't talk to your family about it. Why? Because what happens, you know, whatever goes on, you know, the guy's family will say, oh, we always knew she was the wicked witch of the West. And the, the girl's family say, oh, yeah, we always knew he was Lord Voldemort, right? Or, you know, whatever. So, you know, so, and, you know, they just make it worse. Right. So in this situation, don't talk. Process your emotions. Feel that pain. Let it come. Right. And it passes. And it actually helps you grow. But <clears throat> just talking about it, just you know, sometimes just letting it, you know, venting, it doesn't help. It might feel good in the moment, but it doesn't help. Right. And there's a therapist I talk about EFT that helps a lot in this situation. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, stuff like CBT, these sorts of things, um, they do. Have, a, have an effect, but you know, there, there's other stuff. This is one called <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> um, exposure therapy, which is basically what happens is um, how the therapy EFT was discovered. Is there was a lady she was scared of water, right? And so basically, she was having therapy sessions with this man, and so basically, each session they'd move closer to a swimming pool until eventually they were right next to it. And she's still panicking, right? But then he, he realized that tapping on certain meridians on the, on the face, on the body, it, it took away the pain, it took away the anxiety. And he did it. And he asked her, what, what, what do you feel? And she said, I feel this, this sensation in my stomach. So he said, tap on your cheek, right? because the meridian's connected to your stomach. So he tapped, she tapped there, and she said, it's gone. And so she went to the water, started paddling in the water and whatever, and it disappeared, right? So this, this exposure therapy, especially with people like people that have um, OCD, it's a difficult one to work with, right? Because what happens, someone that's got OCD, right, especially Tahara and stuff like this, if they feel, they feel an urge to wash their arm 22 times, right, or whatever, they feel this urge. And what happens is if you tell them, stop, or if you say, just do it three times and run out, or whatever, right? It works. It does work, but that's, that feeling inside, it's like an alarm, blah, blah, blah. It's just going off in their head. And they might do it once, they might do it twice, they might do it three times, and it might disappear. But because it's not there, it's not in a vacuum, right? It's there because of some sort of trauma, right? It comes back, and usually it comes back with a vengeance. It comes back worse. And these people struggle, and so what you can, so for example, there was someone uh, who I worked with, and this, this guy, um, 
he'd, he'd spend hours in the shower, literally hours, four hours or something, because that, that screaming in his head, that you're not clean, you're not clean, you're not clean, you're not clean, it wouldn't go away. And then sometimes when you have that, and then people don't have a good understanding of religion, what happens? It's combined, and then they feel really guilty, and then they have to do all of this stuff as well, right? So through working with him, we got it down to he could have a comfortable shower in about 20 minutes, and you know, and then he stopped the treatment, whatever, right? But um, he didn't need all these hours. So he was reading a book, the OCD workbook, or he was reading this book, and the guys were saying, you know, have you know, three times a week, have a shower um, that's just seven minutes long. Get in seven minutes and jump out, right? So you might force yourself into this habit, right? Or force yourself in a situation. It does work, but what happens? It doesn't take away that thing. And he said to me, I tried this, and he goes, I couldn't do it. Just seven minutes? No way. It's like all these bells are ringing and someone's screaming at him inside and everything. So, it, you know, you can manage things with this sort of stuff, but what we want, we want to heal from it, right? So, generally, if you have OCD, what's what's stuff with Tahara and prayer and all, the, all these sorts of things, um, it can, you know, other therapies might work better. <coughs> there, are, there are some alternative therapies, which, um, for example, um, there's one called uh, EFT, Emotional Freedom Technique, which basically works, it's a similar pr uh, principle to acupuncture. Your body's got a meridian system, there's energy within this meridian. So if you imagine uh, uh, some motorways going up and down your body and some roundabouts. Whenever you go through a painful experience, uh, one of the roundabouts gets blocked, right? And if you want to test it, just test it now. Just, just close your eyes and think of a painful memory, right? And what you'll find is you'll feel some emotion welling up. You might feel your throat tightening. You might feel something in your stomach. It happens, right? And so basically it's the blockage. So with the EFT, it's, it clears this, right? Uh, you can do it yourself on small things, but if you have long-term issues, find a professional. Right. In England, I think in America as well, there's the EFT Guild who are very good in their approach. It's a very good, strong with, uh, methodological approach. There's other people out there, it's not as effective the way they do it. Um, but that, that, that's good. Um, <coughs> um, with this, uh, the reason why I recommend it, it's, it's easy it's, and it's specific. Right? You can target a particular issue and you can, you can uh, deal with it. I've seen a lot of people benefit from it um, for many things. And don't think that because you went through some trauma or you went through, you had a bad childhood or whatever, right, that it's, it's just that you get uh, depression or you only get this, you know. A lot of the times we, you, people get what, you, what are called psychosomatic issues. Psycho, the mind, somatic, body. So something that's caused by your emotional state but it's manifested in your body. And the biggest one for that is back pain, right? And you might have a physical, you might lift, you might be lifting a, a, a box and you might do your back pain or whatever. That usually happens when there's other stuff going on, right? And whereas you might be emotionally healthy and you can lift whatever and it doesn't affect you, right? So <clears throat> psychosomatic, and this can be anything and everything, right? This can be, um, back aches, neck aches, like I said, um, uh, golfer's elbow, tennis elbow, um, just pain anywhere throughout the body. It can be, um, I've, I've seen people with, with skin conditions, 
right? Uh, psoriasis, these sorts of things. Eczema, it can be like this. It's the body expressing itself. And sometimes what happens is because um, the body turns on itself, right? And that's why you get, you know, like arthritis and stuff like this, right? You know, knee pain and stuff like this. It just doesn't go away, right? And um, I know people, you know, you take, you take some glucosamine tablets or whatever, it might help, but because the cause is emotional, it comes right back, yeah. <coughs> so th this one works well. There is another one called PSTEC, P-S-T-E-C, and it's, <coughs> it's based on some award-winning uh, research. Uh, it's basically an audio file, you listen to it, and you focus on every, every, everything that's causing you pain, you bring it to the front, and you're tapping in certain sequences uh, on something on your lap or whatever. And how it works, it <coughs> unlinks the, the pain from, uh, from your mind in, in, in a particular way. There's some nice research on it. And this is completely free. Both of these are free, but with the, with, uh, both of them you can work with a practitioner, which is a better approach <laughs> if you've got something serious. And another one is called EMDR, right, which works similar to EFT. Um, uh, sorry, uh, PS Tech, but it's, it's just something to, to do with your eyes. <coughs> they make you move your eyes in a particular way, <coughs> and it's an effective therapy. Another one is called somatic experiencing, right? And somatic experiencing, it's so the previous three that I've talked about, they go on the approach that you've got, you've got some sort of trauma, you go whatever, and they're just going to release it from the body. It's gone, right? Once you release it, there's no need for this, right? EMDR, I'm sorry, somatic experiencing works on the basis that you allow it to pass through your body. Right? You can't target something, like, you know, you've got a, you know, you, you got a stutter, you can't target that. But what happens, it, the, it allows these emotions and blocked up things to pass through, through your body. And there's a lot of research on all of these. And... <coughs> Uh, and, and you know, so so these are some of those that I've seen that are the most effective. Are they the only forms of healing out there? No, there's lots of other things, but these are some of the most effective. There's also something called the polyvagal theory about how your nervous system works, your sympathetic and your parasympathetic nervous systems. Um, this is worth looking into, right? This also helps helps a person calm themselves, right? Because Sometimes, uh, once a person's been through a traumatic experience, their nervous system is on edge, right? And you, know, you have all sorts of stuff like this. Um, so this is just a, a basic thing that you know we could go on a lot more about a lot of these things. And there are people that walk around, you know, and they have, like I said, they have uh, intense emotional uh, baggage, let's say, that they're carrying, and they're not aware of it, right? And, and sometimes people need, uh, in, in these situations, like I said, you need to, you need to prioritize yourself, right? Because you have, a duty, you have a duty to yourself, right? So if you're someone in a situation like this, and then you've got what they call, you know, the people of, um, all these self-help people, uh, they call a particular class of people energy vampires, right? That, you know, someone you sit with and, just being in the company or talking to them, what it does, it sucks you dry. It's like you feel drained, you feel like, oh my, I, can't, I can't function, right? People like this could be, you know, relatives, right? Could be, so you need to avoid these people.
people because they're gonna, you know, your priority is, you know, if you're not working, if you're not functional, you can't help someone else function, right? And if you've got social responsibilities, then it's gonna affect those responsibilities, right? So you have to take care of this, you know. This is a priority in Deen. If, if, if it's affecting you like this, especially if you're likely to pass it on to your children or other people, then it is a priority. You have to deal with it in that way. So there are many things, and I think it's, it's important to talk about these things, right? You know, um, people experience certain states. For example, loneliness, right? People experience loneliness. And most people, when you think of loneliness, it's like, uh, I'm alone, there's no one around, I've got nothing to do, right? No, loneliness, uh, I listened to podcasts on this recently, and it can be, it can be a debilitating feeling, right? Where you feel that you're completely alone, there's no one in the world that wants you, there's no one that, wants to, that cares for you, and you need someone to reach out, and you need someone to you know, um, <clears throat> come and help you, but yet you can't express it, because the loneliness makes you feel, I can't do it, right? Uh, and then there's other forms of loneliness, like you're lonely, you've got nothing to do, so you get an activity, you, you read a book. That's fine, that's no normal. But when it's, when it's actually painful, and something like this, this is very common. And you could be lonely in a crowd, yeah, and you could be lonely, and yet you, you're mixing with people, and you're putting on a smile and whatever, right? So you know th there are things like this. So if you have mood swings, or if you have, you know, some people just go into extreme rage, you know, all sorts of things. Th these are things that you need to address. That if if something's off, then it's off, right? Uh, I was spying on some of the <laughs> someone outside. <laughs> and I heard someone say, you know, sometimes you have an issue and people say, what's wrong with you? What have you got to worry about? What have you got to complain about? Your life's fine. But they don't see all the stuff that's in the background, right? They don't see all, you know. And then to just to say to someone, take a supplement, take, take some, you know, cod liver oil or whatever, or do this, do that, uh, and stop whining about it and something like this. You don't help the person, right? It doesn't, you know, um, it actually causes, you know, uh, the things to to get worse. Whenever you try to bury some sort of, some some of this sort of pain, what happens? It comes back with a vengeance, right? So it's very important. It, it needs to be discussed. And instead of thinking, oh, <clears throat> someone's done some magic, or you need to, you need some of the, all these other things do have an effect. Yes, are people possessed? Yes, right? Is it very very common? Probably not, right? Do people have you know nutrient deficiencies? Yes. Is it very very common? Yes, as well. But is it a, a real cause of this? And it might be, but it's not as this. This is an epidemic, right? And I've seen people all over the world, every class of life, that have issues, right? So if you have it, you need to seek a remedy. And, you know, and a common one is people look for magic wands, right? They'll say, oh, they'll go to one, or, you know, Sheikh, can you give me something to recite that'll take away my depression or whatever? And, you know, this guy either makes a quick book, right? He says, here, give me 200 quid. Uh, there was this story my friend told me that um, he took his mum to some, some guy down south and, you know, uh, <laughs> she has all these issues and whatever. And she's like, please make a dua for him. He goes, I'll make a dua for you, don't worry. Um, just the type of dua depends on you. She goes, what do you mean? He said, well, a standard dua is 100 pounds. But a real emotional, you know, heartfelt du'a is, is 300 pounds. And for more, the more you pay, the more you, 
<laughs> the song of the wagon. This is just a charlatan, right? Um, but people come and, and what they do, they look for fixes, right? Give me, you know, and and, and sometimes people say, yeah, okay, read a hundred uh, Durus Sharif and you'll be fixed, or read two hundred and you'll be fixed. And eventually, what happens is people give up hope. You know, I've tried this, I've tried that, I've tried that. Nothing's helping, right? We know certain things work. For example, Imam al-Busiri, who's one of the awliya before, you know, and he was paralyzed. He wrote the burda, and Allah subhanahu wa taala, you know, the Prophet came in a dream, and he wiped his body, and you know, he was cured of his paralysis. Can this happen? Of course. Is it normal? Is it the case with everyone? Probably not. We've seen miraculous situations. Uh, a friend of mine, um, his wife was um, pregnant. She was having some issues with the, with the thing. And she was in close proximity to, to one of the hairs of the Prophet wasallam. And then they went back and there's no issue anymore, right? It happens, but is it the normal way to go? If you go break your arm, are you going to pull your tasbihah and start saying, Allahumma salli Sayyidina Muhammad? It'd be great if you did, right? But is it the normal means Allah has told us to take to get this thing fixed? Not really. So you take the means that are appropriate, right? And, you know, this thing about just shut up and get over it and, you know, tell your nafs to shut up and whatever. You know, if it's a genuine issue and you're trying to push it under the brush into the carpet with this approach, you're going to make it worse, right? So, uh, you know, I hope this uh, is a step towards you know discussion around this topic because it's very important, right? And you know, you'd be surprised how many people have these issues. You'd be surprised, right? So we ask Allah for afia, and as a bit of homework, one one thing that we can do <coughs> is. One of the, the du'as of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in Sahih Muslim, you can look it up on the internet, but it's, uh, it would be, Allahumma aslih li dini alladhi huwa ismatu amri. Allah, rectify my relationship with you, my deen, my relationship with you, which is the, you know, the crux of my entire matter, right? Salvation, this world, the next. And rectify my dunya, this life that I live in, you know, my worldly affairs, you know, which is my life. And fix my akhirah, which I'm going to return to, that's where I'm going to end up, right, for, forever. And make my life an increase in every sort of good. And make death uh, a repose and an ending and a release uh, from every type of evil and harm. Right? A very beautiful dua of the Prophet. And just before we end, we talk about this thing. <coughs> Excuse me. So we've talked about um, the issues. We've talked about. Uh, some means of recovery, but what about prevention? And I talked about this in the beginning. Prevention is through the Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. One of the greatest gifts to us was the Prophet. He said, al-akhlaq." Clearly, the only reason I was sent was to perfect, no, it's not to complete noble character, right? And when this is there, everything works. Right? Because when this is there, you deal with kindness with people, you deal with compassion, you deal with understanding, you're not harsh, you're not hard-hearted with people. Right? You see someone that's going through a difficulty, <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me. 
<coughs> yes, if, they, if they're doing something wrong in the Sharia, then you say, look, this is wrong and it's better for you to stop it. <coughs> that's, that's a given. <coughs> but if the person's <coughs> going through something and then you come down on them like a ton of bricks, that's not going to help. Right? In fact, it's likely to make things worse. The Prophet ﷺ was extremely kind to people. Right? And you know, just showing affection, showing kindness, there's something um, <coughs> I, I talked about earlier about love. And it's some, 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 the way human beings need love, as we talked about earlier, the way we express and need to feel loved, as being, you know, people, um, there's something called the, the five love languages, right? And you can look this up, it's quite easy on the, on the internet. It's basically five manners of expressing love and, and receiving love. And everyone has one or two or more of these uh, languages, meaning the way they express it. And we find that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam embodied all of them perfectly, right? <coughs> For example, um, <coughs> what are they? So people express love this way and they, um, they receive love this way. Like, so, and if you talk to someone, if you do things which are from a different love language, it doesn't matter, right? So they, they won't feel loved. For example, the first one is words of affirmation where people need to hear nice things. Thank you, you know, I appreciate what you've done, all of these things. They need to hear nice things and they express, the, the, you know, express it in this way as well. Right? And we see this, the Prophet wasallam, you know, the way he spoke to people, yeah, yeah, Aish, he'd said to Aisha, like he'd shorten her name, give her a, little, a nice little nickname. And, you know, there's sorts of things like this. Uh, ya Abu Umair, you know, the, the kid whose, whose little bird died, he talked to him nicely. And part of this is tone, right? That the tone of your voice is not, thank you, you know, you don't back it out, right? But, you know, it's, it's the way you say it and what you say, right? So that's, that's part of it. The second one is uh, touch. Touch, where basically, <coughs> this is extremely important for children as well, right? And so basically, just. Um, Holding someone's hand, stroking a kid's back or whatever, or your spouse's hand or whatever, just just any sort of touch or just being close. This makes that people fill up with. So, so the way the way um, John Wellwood, who talked about the wound of the heart, he says you have a tank in your heart. Uh, it's your heart meridian basically, and basically, if it's empty, then you feel empty, right? And you know that's when loneliness and all these things come in. <clears throat> so through all of these words of affirmation, touch whatever, it slowly gets topped up. Someone that's full can give. Someone that's needy can't, right? And then the third one is what they call acts of service, right? So we know that the Prophet ﷺ, he'd walk past kids, he'd stroke them on the head, and they knew, they knew, they knew who had been stroked on the head because of his, his fragrance, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Um, <clears throat> acts of service, right? Literally anyone in Medina, even a little kid could come up to the Prophet and say, Ya Rasulullah, I need you, help me. And take him all the way across Medina. He wasn't like, I'm too important, right? Go find someone else. He'd tell people, if you know someone's got a difficulty, come and tell me. So he could go and help them. Act of service, right? Um, <clears throat> and then the next one is quality time. So that if you're with someone, you're fully with someone, right? And so this is basically, you know, you can't be texting whilst you're chatting to them because they, they feel neglected then. You've got to give them everything, right? And the last one is giving gift. And the Prophet ﷺ, what did he do when he was talking to someone? 
he turned with his entire body towards that person, right? Quality time, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And then the last one is um, giving gifts. Tahadu tahabu, the Prophet said, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Give gifts and you love each other, right? So the sunnah, is, and when it's, it's not that you, you know, your spouse, has, you have to extend your house so she can store all the gifts that you buy her, right? It's not, it's not, the point is not the gifts. It's the thought that you were thinking about that person. You know, when they say it's the thought that counts, it really is. <clears throat> and the opposite of these can lead to neglect. So as long as that's word of affirmation, you say something nasty, whatever, you know, this sticks and stones will, come, will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Rubbish. <laughs> right? it, it, for someone like this, it, it, it can you know, really hurt, right? It hurt, destroy them, right? Um, touch. So kids, for example, who have this, when they're not touched by the parents, they're not given hugs, cuddles, kisses, stuff like this, they will feel neglected, right? Acts of service. If you just don't do, you know, do something uh, for someone, just, you know, who, you know, you're close to, and if you just ignore them or whatever, they will feel the opposite of love, right? Um, quality time, if you blank someone, right, this is possibly one of the most painful things that they can, you know, they can experience, someone that's quality time, right? They're there, you're there, and you just blank them, right? And it causes them pain, giving gifts, right, in a situation. And they think this person just doesn't even think about me. There's no consideration, right? He or she just goes and does this and does that, right? It's the opposite of that. So we find that the, <clears throat> the cure to all of this is the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ in the sense that of his dealings. And when this, just in one generation, he took the Arabs from being people who buried their daughters alive and wouldn't even kiss their sons or whatever. He took them to being, you know, exemplars, people who were the best of generations, right? In one generation he did this, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And so this is the way of prevention in the future, right? And like I said, if someone has some issues, you need to work on them, lest you pass them on. But the way you deal with close people, the way you deal with the children, the way they deal uh, with family and friends is this with the akhlaq of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and if you can't do it, then you then you have to do, take a means to get there, right? So, for example, if someone has temper issues, you have to take a means to get there, and this is you know from what I've seen, this is one of the most effective ways through through uh, through therapy. You know, you can take an anger management course and whatever they'll say. You know. If you start feeling angry, leave the room or whatever. Practical steps are great. But what we want, <clears throat> we don't want to mask a symptom. If you fall and you graze your arm and you just go put 12 plasters all over it, right? no one knows that you've got this injury, but is your arm grazed? It's still grazed, right? So we don't want to mask the symptom, we want to heal from it, right? Because what happens, like I said, when you, get mas when you mask them, <clears throat> It gets worse over time. I'll give you an example. The book uh, *Wuthering Heights*, right? By what is it? Uh, Jane, no, Jane, Jane Austen, no, Jane Austen. Emily Bronte, that's what. Emily, Emily Bronte, right? So what happens? <coughs> Her mum dies, whatever, and then this kid is left on the door, and they say he's a dark kid, whatever, probably some Polish kid or whatever, gypsy family or whatever. So they leave him on the door, Heathcliff. Right, and he's abused left, right, and centre by her father. Right, beaten and kicked and all sorts and you know whatever. And then, in adulthood, what happens? 
Heathcliff becomes that man. Heathcliff abuses other people, right? Heathcliff acts like this, right? So, in one sense, you know, this is this is part of the reason why you can't judge people, or you're a good for nothing, whatever, because we don't know what's going on in the background, what's happened. So Allah's the judge, right? And but Heathcliff went from one state to another, and you know you'll find this, right? That people's experiences shape their actions, right? I give you two examples, right? Batman, right? Why is Batman Batman, right? I'm not talking about the money, not talking about whatever. I'm talking about the fact that his parents got shot in front of him, right? And <clears throat> the resulting anger makes him go out and be Batman because he doesn't want that to happen to anyone else, right? Spider-Man, right? Why is he doing all this? He could have saved someone, but he doesn't, and then that guy goes and kills his uncle. So he lives with the guilt of inaction, and it, motiva- it motivates all of his other actions, right? These, these are the reasons why some of these things are quite intriguing to people, because they're stories of real people with real problems. Although there's some escapist kind of element to it, right? You know, swinging from building to building. But, but this, is, this is why, you know, because people connect with this, people share, you know, share this. So um, uh, what I'll do is I'll stop it here. And uh, there was stuff I wanted to say, but I waffled on, so so I apologise. But um, inshallah, may Allah make this a means for recovery. We'll take some questions, inshallah. Alhamdulillah, uh, Rabbi Alameen. Uh, what do you say? <clears throat> Low iman and not praying five times a day is a reason. It could be a contributing factor. We're not going to say that, right? Um, uh, Low iman might affect your deeds, so it might affect the way you pray, whatever. But like I said, it's I I I don't think it's a sufficient factor, right? And why is iman low? Maybe there's sins. Okay, this person's committing sins. Why is he committing this particular sin, right? And a lot of the times that I've seen, it pushes up. You, you end up in a, with a scenario where there's something inside, right, which the person hasn't dealt with. It's pushed them to this. It's pushed them to that. I know a number of people who, like guys, who just, like I said, won't go to the mosque. Why? Because that imam, you know, beat him up when he was a kid, or someone beat him up when he was learning the Quran. They don't want to have anything to do with religion, right? Harsh teachers, you know, push away students, right? Stuff like this. So. It could be a factor, but not everything. Yeah. And generally, depression, although you can mask it with drugs yeah, and supplements, it's not something that appears in a vacuum. And that's one thing I want you all to take away today. These issues do not appear in a vacuum. There's always something else going on in the background. right? And then the alternative, actually the flip side of this, is where people, when they start saying, well, all you need is prayer and dhikr and whatever, and it'll fix you. And if you're not fixed through, through, through prayer and dhikr, then you're the problem or whatever. Wrong, right? I worked with someone, and we had a session, and you know, he improved. He had a definite improvement. And then he texts me, right? And he's like, uh, brother, um, I don't want to carry on. And all this stuff you're doing, it's, it's nonsense anyway. All you need is salah. Okay, great. So I said, okay, if all you need is salah, and you've been praying salah for 40 years, <laughs> why haven't your problems disappeared, right? And, you know, so what happens here is people feel, because the mindset is, right, I'm going to get rid of this problem, 
So then the subconscious kicks back, no, this is my defense mechanism. If you get rid of this, I'm going to be vulnerable. That's his approach. The best approach is to think, I'll remove the need for this. That's your question. Yeah. Any other questions? Yes. Um, so my question is, uh, would you recommend, uh, obviously, a female practitioner to, or a female client to approach a female practitioner <coughs> um, and vice versa, male for male? Uh, generally, it's, it depends on the therapy and it depends on the individual. If you feel more comfortable with going to someone of, uh, of the same gender, that's the best approach. Um, in some situations, depending on their therapy, you might have to, right? Because, for example, uh, some of these therapies, like EFT, whatever, you don't have to disclose any information. You don't have to talk about how painful it was when he walked off with your Parker pen and you couldn't get it back off. You don't have to do any of this stuff, right? But um, sometimes you might have to. Right, so in that case, someone of the same gender is, uh, you know, superior, right? But would you know of local uh, practitioners from the therapies that you highlighted in, in West Yorkshire? Um, like I said, um, I think the EFT Guild is quite effective, and there's a number of practitioners there. Um, but if you just Thank you for listening to this Seekers Hub podcast. Our goal is to raise $75,000 in monthly donations to build a global Islamic seminary so that dedicated students all over the world can complete their journeys and become Islamic scholars. You can help them by becoming a monthly donor at seekershub.org slash donate.